0: Now, it's interesting here that the whole idea of making a covenant of peace comes from Laban. Derek Kidner says about this, God's ability to bring Laban to the point of proposing it was an object lesson to Jacob and remains so in favor of faith against panic and of open dealing against scheming in handling a difficult relationship. Laban was unchanged, but this time Jacob was not leaving behind him a brother offended, closed quote. That's a good word. Again, Jacob didn't need to deceive or scheme. God was with him. God was blessing him. And he should have trusted in that. God is teaching Jacob. He is restoring him to the image and likeness of God. You see, God doesn't just choose. God doesn't just save. He teaches, he transforms, he changes, and he restores. Thanks be to God.
1: Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. Jacob didn't need to deceive or scheme. God was with him, God was blessing him, and he should have trusted in that. That's a lesson that God's people have been learning, or trying to learn, for about 3,000 years now. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. is a lamp
0: unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 31. This is a very long chapter, so we'll have to get right into it. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our fathers, and from what was our fathers, he has gained all his wealth. The actual word here, translated by the ESV as wealth, is kavod, and it is normally translated as glory. The sons of Laban are really saying that Jacob has taken away our father's glory. Before Jacob came, our father was the big man in the region, the blessed man, the important man, the wealthy man. But now all of that has been transferred to Jacob. Jacob is the great man now despite Laban's efforts to cheat him and to diminish him. There's a lesson in there for us. God promotes whom he will. You don't need to cheat, steal, and scheme. Seek not great things for yourself. Seek the Lord and let him be the one who gives you wealth, substance, significance, and glory. Let the Lord give you whatever he wants you to have. Now, that's not a call for you to be lazy. Jacob was a hard worker. Jacob was a man of action. It's a call for you to understand that God makes men and women what they are. John the Baptist understood this very well. He said in John 3, 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's the point here. God makes people who they are. So don't scheme, don't deceive, don't cheat. Work hard and seek the Lord and receive from his hand whatever he sees fit to give you. Verse 2 goes on to say, And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. For the sake of time, just notice this. As the Lord promotes you, other people will resent you. It's just the way it is. Don't fight it. Just move on and keep in step with the Spirit. Here the Lord reminds Jacob that it is time to be heading back to the promised land in any case. Verse 4 says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us. And to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. It is interesting to note, and I think worth noting, the means by which Jacob discerns God's will. He took note of his circumstances. We talked about that already. He was aware that he was arousing jealousy and hostility from among Laban's sons. He also took counsel with his wives. Now, forget for a second the S on the end of that word. And you have an example that we should all be careful to follow. And then then lastly, he considers a dream that he had in which God told him to go home. So he took note of circumstances. He consulted family. And he was sensitive to the promptings of the Lord. That's a good example of Old Testament guidance. Now, in the New Testament era, we have even more help than that. We have the completed scriptures. We have the sure and firm foundation of the prophets and apostles, with Christ as cornerstone. So we are way better off than Brother Jacob. But still, we would want to say, after you read the Bible, and after you see what God's Word says, then pay attention to your circumstances, consult with your family members, and be sensitive to the promptings of the Lord.
1: Pastor Paul, I want to jump in here if I can. That is one of the most common questions that new or younger believers are likely to ask. How can I know what God's will is for me? Should I take this job? Should I pursue this relationship? Should I make this decision? That's where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people. And you introduced a bit of a formula there that might be worth unpacking. You said, after you read your Bible, then pay attention to your circumstances— consult with your family members, and be sensitive to the promptings of the Lord. Now, is that some kind of four-step process for discerning God's will, or would that be overstating it a bit? Well,
0: I don't know if I'd call it a four-step process, but I do think it represents a basic approach that people should use when making significant life decisions. And I think it's not just four things you should do, but the order itself and the priority assigned to each step in the process is important for us to think about. As Christians, we need to begin with what the Word of God says. If you're trying to figure out whether it is God's will for you to leave your wife and marry some other woman, well, you don't need to go to any other steps after step one. You just read your Bible and you start with the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So there's your answer. God's particular will for you will never contradict his general will for all people everywhere. Or to say that another way, God's will 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 never contradict god's word but of course there are life decisions that are not directly addressed in the pages of the bible should i go to this university or that one should i take this job in this city or that job in that city in such cases you'll want to begin with what the bible says that might apply in a general sense the bible commends work so work in general is good The Bible commends family. In fact, the Bible says that if a man doesn't take care of his own family, and here it's talking about elderly parents, he's worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. So if one of the jobs would take you to another part of the country at a time when your older parents need some help and support from you, then that job probably isn't God's will for you. The Bible also says that being a part of a healthy local church is important for your faith and the faith of your family. So if one job is in a community that doesn't have a healthy church, then probably that job is not God's will for you. So use the general principles in the Bible to help eliminate a couple of unlikely options. And then look at your circumstances. Talk to family members and pray. Sometimes God will put a real peace in your heart about one option or a real discomfort in your heart about another option. Sometimes there'll be clear and obvious circumstantial indicators. Pay attention to those but do not start with those. If I could use a golf analogy, that stuff is short game, but it needs to be Bible and Scripture off the tee. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Bible and Scripture off the tee. Let the Word of God get us moving in a certain direction and then rely on those other things to decide on some of the finer details.
0: Yeah, exactly right. If you're in bounds in terms of what the Bible says, then by all means, pay attention to circumstance. Seek counsel from loved ones. Pay attention to promptings and impressions. But only inside the boundary of what God would say, what the Bible would say, is acceptable, appropriate, and
1: wise. All right, that is great counsel. Let's jump back into the text now at verse 17.
0: Verse 17 says, So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paden-Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household goods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and rose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. Now, remember that Jacob didn't need to deceive. God was blessing him. But there is still a lot of Jacob left in Jacob. He is a deceiver by name and nature, and there is remaining sin in this growing and changing brother. Now, as for why Rachel stole her father's idols we can't say for sure. Some scholars claim that in that culture, possession of the household idols strengthened a person's claim on the overall inheritance. And given what Rachel said earlier in the chapter, that is probably it. Verse 22 says, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Again, notice that Jacob didn't need to scheme. God was in this and God was acting as his rear guard. Jacob should have handled this in a more straightforward manner. Verse 25 says, And Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you've done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all around the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Now, the fact that Rachel is sitting on her father's household idols while claiming that she is having her period strengthens the belief that this was not about religion for Rachel. It was about strengthening her claim to her father's property. The JPS Hebrew commentary puts it this way. Rachel doing this, sitting on the idols, implies an attitude of willful defilement and contemptuous rejection of the idea that Laban's cult objects had any religious worth. Closed quote. The story continues in verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban, Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jager Sadhadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid, and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Now, it's interesting here that the whole idea of making a covenant of peace comes from Laban. Derek Kidner says about this, God's ability to bring Laban to the point of proposing it was an object lesson to Jacob, and remains so, in favor of faith against panic, and of open dealing against scheming in handling a difficult relationship. Laban was unchanged. But this time, Jacob was not leaving behind him a brother offended. Closed quote. That's a good word. Again, Jacob didn't need to deceive or scheme. God was with him. God was blessing him. And he should have trusted in that. God is Teaching Jacob. He is restoring him to the image and likeness of God. You see, God doesn't just choose. God doesn't just save. He teaches, he transforms, he changes, and he restores. Thanks be to God. The story concludes. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness. And the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and bless them then Laban departed and returned home and thus ends the sojourn of Jacob in Padan Aram god has used his father-in-law to reform his character jacob must have seen in laban a picture of his future self apart from the grace and mercy of god his time in laban's house under laban's hand has changed him he is not the man he once was. He is becoming the man God has called him to be. He has graduated from the school of affliction, but he has a few postgraduate courses still to come. Thanks be to God.
1: Pastor Paul, as we set off the top, the main idea in this chapter seems to be God's ongoing process of teaching Jacob to trust in him as opposed to lying, scheming, and cheating so as to get what he wants out of life. Now, by this point in the story, he definitely appears to be making some progress. He is well ahead of his wife, Rachel. But as you said there at the end, there are still some lessons to be learned in this general course of instruction. So why is it so hard for us as believers to trust in the promises and the providence of God? Or to use New Testament terminology, why do we so often strive and scheme with the weapons of the flesh?
0: Well, I think it just comes down to the smallness of our faith. Jesus said in Matthew 17, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As often in Scripture, a mountain is a metaphor for a huge impossible barrier. And Jesus is saying here that even with a small amount of faith, we will be able to overcome huge, impossible barriers through the grace that God supplies. That's faith in a nutshell. That's what it means to believe Old Testament and New. In Zechariah 4, 6-7, for example, it says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, close quote. So you can see there even some of the same word pictures, the same metaphors. Faith is about meeting obstacles and serving God through the grace and help that he supplies. But our instinct as people is always to try to do the right thing the wrong way. We tend to reach first for the weapons of the flesh. So just like Peter, again and again, Jesus has to say to us, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword, Matthew 26, 52. You can't do God's work the world's way. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. We have the foolishness of preaching and the nonsense of prayer, right? That, that's what we have. And God uses those things, things that the world would say are weak and useless, to overcome impossible obstacles and to bring dead things to life. And when we do it that way, then, of course, God gets the glory And people around us come to understand that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if we try to do God's work our way, should it succeed, we would get the glory, which is why when we do, we inevitably find ourselves striving against God, just as Jacob has learned and will continue to learn in this story. Old Testament and New, faith is about believing that God will give you the kingdom. Jesus said that in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Are you seeing that? God wants to give it to you. He doesn't want you to build it or make it or name it or claim it. He wants you to receive it. And that is what Jacob is figuring out, that if he just trusts God, And honors God and follows God, then no matter what other people are doing around him, he is going to be blessed. He is going to rise up, and he is going to inherit it all. Doesn't need to scheme, doesn't need to lie, doesn't need to strive or steal, because the Lord has promised to give it. But as you noted, that's not an easy lesson to learn. And most of us, like Jacob, are long and slow in
1: learning it. Oh, yeah, how true that is. Well, thanks for that. And as always, friends, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. See you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet